Good afternoon or good evening. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Wallace Chapman with you in our new time slots. Very nice to be with you. In a moment, the bill to repeal the Māori Health Authority working its way through Parliament. A heated debate in the House late this afternoon. First reading has passed. It was a claim by health experts, experts when it came in. It's to be scrapped by June 30. Also, all eyes will be on the Reserve Bank tomorrow as it decides where to set the official cash rate. If the OCR goes up, so will your mortgage that this hour. And motherhood is holding women back from leadership research from the University of Auckland. We discussed that this afternoon as well. And our question of the day for you this afternoon, um, and we've already had a huge response on this, I noticed an item uh, in a travel section. I don't often read travel sections, but this got me because it's number one on my bucket list. Uh, It's not bungee jumping. It's sleeping overnight on a train. Sleeper trains are the new hit in Europe. And I want to ask you, have you slept on a train? What was it like? Big response already. Here's one. 1980 overnight train cartoon to Whitey Harper, then two days in an open-top ferry across Lake Aswan, uh, gliding past the desert and the temple of Abu Simbel at dawn was a magical out-of-body experience. What's your experience? Text me, 2101. You can email the panel at rnz.co.nz. And from 7 to 8 p.m. this evening, we have the detail and the sampler. With me uh, this evening is Zoe George, Senior Sports Journalist at Stuff. Zoe, kia ora. Hello, Wallace. Always delightful to well, be on the panel. Well, it's always great to have you on, Zoe, uh, as <laughs> well as Steve McCabe, lecturer at MIT. Kia ora, Steve. Tēnā Wallace. Nice to have you here uh, as well. So straight to this, the bill to repeal uh, Akafaiora Māori Health Authority uh, has been introduced uh, to pass under urgency in Parliament today before a Waitangi tribunal hearing can take place challenging the move. That Waitangi Tribunal hearing will no longer proceed but can still critique government's actions once passed into law. Now, back in 2021, the then government announced sweeping changes to the health and disability system. They included replacing the 20 DHBs with a national body, Health NZ or Te Ora, charged with planning services nationwide and establishing a Māori health authority. The move was highly regarded as many health experts. For example, Tim uh, Tenbinsal from Auckland University called the Māori health authority with commissioning powers a major innovation. But Prime Minister Chris Luxon said he had been very clear about his plans to abolish the authority, saying we've opposed the Māori Health Authority from the beginning because we just don't think increasing bureaucracy here in Wellington is the way to deliver health outcomes for Māori. And we think there are better ways to do that. With us is Peter Crampton, Professor of Public Health at Kohatu, the Centre for Holder Māori at the University of Otago. Professor Crampton, uh, welcome to the programme. Kia ora, Wallace, and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on. How, I mean, you were a member of the Health and Disability System Review Panel, you were former Dean of the Otago Medical School. So how did you react, how would you react to disestablishing the Māori Health Authority? Well, I, I react with disappointment and sadness. And to explain why, let's go back to why it was um, established in the first place. 
Uh, no one debates that uh, Māori health outcomes are uh, shocking and have been for a very long time and the system has been uh, inadequate in its responses to that set of challenges. Uh, and the same old, same old business as usual approaches have proven to be ineffective. Uh, the Health and Disability System Review Panel that I sat on uh, recommended on the advice of the Waitangi Tribunal and its hold a report um, that we try an innovation, which is a Māori-led response to the challenges. And Te Akafaiora, the Māori Health Authority, was established on the basis of that recommendation. It's innovative. It's intended as a system disruptor. It's intended to achieve outcomes that have not been achieved by the system as a whole over all the decades the system has existed. So, yeah, I'm disappointed because it hasn't been given a chance to work. Uh, can I just make the comment uh, that Minister Reti has made very strong comments about his commitment to Māori health and Māori health outcomes, and he wishes to devolve funding to communities or closer to communities, closer to iwi. Yes. And, and my comment on that is that... Uh, I, I strongly agree with that uh, that proposition. That's exactly what Te Akafaiora could have achieved for him. I mean, that is a sophisticated undertaking which requires specific bespoke expertise. And uh, that expertise was being built in Te Akafaiora uh, very strongly. And he has removed from his toolbox the capacity to achieve what he wishes to achieve. And the challenge now will be to rebuild capacity in some other form to achieve what he says he wishes to achieve. Okay. All right, we'll come back to a couple of those points. Very interesting points there, uh, Peter. We've got a panel with us. Let's get them to jump in. Zoe, you first. Kia ora, Peter. Uh, yeah, I've been looking at some of the stats in regards to Māori health, and, and they are shocking. Um, and it's not just about uh, health. It's it's about things like the fact that Māori are more likely to live in high deprivation areas and unable to access uh, health care when they need it. Uh, something like 24% of Māori live in areas with the highest New Zealand deprivation scores compared to only 7% of non-Māori. Māori have high rates of unemployment, lower total personal incomes, uh, more likely to receive means-tested benefits and live in households without telephones or a motor vehicle access, which makes accessing health uh, providers even more difficult. And when we look at the the health outcomes, uh, Māori are one and a half times more likely to be hospitalised for cardiovascular diseases non-Māori. Stroke mortality is over one and a half times higher and heart fatal mortality rates are more than twice as high as the rate for non-Māori. So, yeah, I, I'm with Peter on this. I'm, I'm disappointed that this has happened. It's really important that we look after our people. When we look after our people, our people look after us. Just jumping in there, uh, and you've heard what Zoe says, what do you say to those people? I think some, David Seymour said something along the likes of, look, uh, Peter, you get sick, you will be seen. That is the goal. Well, we measure outcomes all the time. We always have, and... Uh, the system performs very well in many respects for many communities and shockingly poorly for other communities. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and, and I mean, the, the, I think it was Zoe speaking just then who, who outlined all those statistics. She sounded like a uh, public health professional. <laughs> um, but but the, the, one of the points she made was that the distribution of services does not match 
the distribution of need, by which I mean areas of highest need tend to have way too few services and vice versa. And uh, I could go on and on about the the mismatch between service delivery and uh, and healthcare need. And uh, Minister Seymour is simply incorrect. There's a huge mismatch. You have a problem and you, you know, whether or not you're seen uh, is up to a whole range of factors which were called by Minister Little the uh, postcode lottery, which sort of captures that idea that whether, whether or not you have your problem addressed is sort of happenstance a lot of times. And if I could just jump in here for a second. Uh, Wallace, I want to take you to task, mate. Of all the entities we could erase the Te Reo Maori name from, this is probably the worst one to do. We stop calling it the Maori Health Authority. It's Te Akafaiora, please. Um, and then to the government, if they're listening, this was a disgraceful move. It's very, very obvious that um, the government, in its actions at the moment, are being led by the likes of David Seymour, who who want to erase the 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 catch-up moves have been made to to take care of Maori in this country. The, the moves we've seen that have gone through under urgency right now include getting rid of uh, Three Waters, which was bagged as be, badged as being a, a co-governance model. We've seen getting rid of uh, Te Akafaiora, which is very specifically targeted at Maori. Other things that need to be got rid of, like, for example, uh, my employer, Te Pukenga, uh, or other parts of Te Fatuora, aren't being rammed through under urgency. It seems to me that the priority of this government right now is erasing the special measures that are being taken to recognise that Maori have been systematically disadvantaged in this country over decades. And that is the priority. It's extraordinarily disappointing to see that happening. And David Seymour's comments show a typical lack of finesse in thinking. It is not as simple as he wants to make it out to be. Um, Many people are very fortunate. They get seen quickly. A lot of people, as we've just heard from Zoe, don't. Now, uh, Peter, the Prime Minister said, look, um, just coming back to what you're saying uh, in terms of working with Iwi, um, working with Iwi organisations, quoting, we've already spent $50 million before Christmas to work on the issues that we're talking about and the way we want to work, which is actually working with Iwi health organisations to drive immunisation rates of Māori under two from 71% up from 90%. That's the way to improve Māori health comes. They really strongly believe there is another, perhaps what they see is a simpler way to do it. What about that? Well, my comments to that is that good work is being done, no question about that. <clears throat> but uh, with both the repeal, the proposed repeal of the tobacco legislation and also the uh, disestablishment of the order, there is no plan B at the moment. We have not been presented with plans to uh, replace these very significant uh, pieces of legislation which are being um, well dis- uh, withdrawn in the case of tobacco or disestablishment in the case of Taukafai order. So, look, it's very hard to make comments on what comes next because we yeah. have not been told there is no plan at this point. They are simply, as uh, the last commentator said, uh, removing things at this point in time and, and pointing to little examples related to immunisation or whatever it might be. Doesn't, it, it goes nowhere towards explaining to the New Zealand public about what the plan is, and that's what we need to hear. Uh, I'm just thinking, though, Peter, that's, that's all very, very fair, but 
You know, you, you, you've got to say that they campaigned on it. They won an election on it. It appeared very clearly in their 100-day plan. I mean, this was well signalled. Well, I think that your, your comment there is that they, they would claim to have a political mandate. Uh, and I think there is legitimacy to that claim. Uh, but that's not what we're debating yeah. here. And by the way, one could raise the question about whether there is a social mandate for these changes. Uh, and that is a different question from whether or not there is a political mandate. But, uh, no, I'm not debating the political mandate at this point. I'm just saying there's no plan B. Sure. Uh, these are important and really tricky public policy issues. And all we're seeing at the moment is the removal of tools from the toolbox. So we're, we're significantly reducing the capacity of our system to do its job in a number of respects, not just the disestablishment of Taqafai order. If you've just joined us, we are listening to Professor Peter Crampton, Professor of Public Health in Kohatu, the Centre for Hold or Māori at the University of Otago. Steve, did you, did you want to jump in again? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, obviously Peter's right that, that, that a lot of what the, the government is trying to do at the moment is basically disestablish anything that smells a little bit too Māori, which will get rid of it, without any view to having something coherent in its place that will do the good that these entities were originally intended to do. But with regard to uh, political mandates, if we take what you just said, Wallace, and what um, the Prime Minister has implied to its logical conclusion. From now on, within a week of um, an election being over, um, anything that was in a manifesto or in a 100-day plan, which incidentally came out after the government was formed, anything in that will simply be automatically law. That's not how this democracy is meant to work. The parliamentary process is meant to ensure that there is full public scrutiny of everything the government does. Ramming things through under urgency is exploiting a measure that was never intended to be used this right. way. We'll come back to you, uh, Peter. Stay there for, uh, with us. We've got a bit of time here. Uh, Zoe, did you want to uh, add something? I was just going to say the smoking legislation, which we've talked about quite a lot, was world leading. Mm. And, you know, in Aotearoa, we want to be world leaders. We are world leading in lots of other ways. Why can't we be world leaders here? And I think uh, last time, last year when I was on the panel, there was research from youth, our young people saying that they wanted the legislation to go through. They didn't want cigarettes. They didn't want Mm. access to cigarettes. So why are we not listening to the people who are our future uh, of this country, it just—it really bothers me. <laughs> hey, just on a personal note, uh, Peter, because not you know, notice noting you know what you've done pretty significant things uh, in your in your professional health career. Come from overseas, being in Aotearoa here, um, you know, being at this uh, centre for Holder Māori, former dean of the Otago Medical School. But as I understand, you became a GP from coming overseas in Porirua, where serving a diverse Māori and Pacifica community highlighted health matters that you hadn't previously had exposure to. Did that kind of experience inform some of your uh, views, your issues, your stances? Oh, totally. Totally. So my family emigrated from England when I was 12. And I went to medical school in Otago and graduated. And my first proper uh, job uh, was as a GP in Porirua in Cannons Creek. And uh, I was fully immersed in Māori, Pacific, and uh, also new new migrants uh, and refugee populations. And it was a huge education for me and, and very much influenced the way I see things and think, think about things. And that, I would say one of the key learnings was that um, 
none of this is random. The social patterning of uh, wealth and poverty, the social patterning of health and disease, which go along with wealth and poverty, uh, <clears throat> is not random. It's, uh, it's structured into the way we uh, uh, run our society in the way that we uh, attribute uh, the structures of opportunity for different communities and so on. And, and that's what I've involved myself with ever since, really, is grappling with those questions. It's very nice for you to take the time with the panel this afternoon, uh, Peter. Kia ora. Thank you very much for being with us today. Kia ora. Uh, that is Peter Crampton there, Professor of Public Health at Kohatu, the Centre for Haora Māori at the University of Otago. So we'll keep you up to date uh, with that bill as it passes, proceeds through the House. 25 past six, you are on the panel, the new time on the panel. We've been waiting for our um, guests to come back uh, talking about the um, official cash rate and we're trying to sort of uh, follow that up. Hopefully we'll have that in the next uh, the next few minutes. Um, but for now, I just want to get some feedback. I ask you, um, have you ever been on a sleeper train? And I've been amazed at responses. I said that this is on, of all the things that was on my bucket list, it's not bungee jumping. It's just actually staying overnight on a train. Extraordinary. Here's a couple. The overnight train sleeper from Yerevan, Armenia to Tbilisi, Georgia, comfortable bunk, a rather cold 4 a.m. break outside for customs, shared with some young Russians escaping the army mobilization. Another one here, also down through Eastern Europe, from Berlin to Istanbul, across to Italy, from Greece, up through Italy, through Europe, back to London. The winter of 92-93, when all hell was breaking loose, unbeknownst to us in Yugoslavia, we had to detour. Very, very sad. Uh, We slept on the train, and in the main cities we visited, we spent a day avoiding Sarajevo, also slept on the Amtrak, the city of New Orleans. So, yeah, a wonderful, wonderful responses. Thank you for that. Shall we tuck in now? I've been thinking while we have time, while we're waiting for our guests, who wants to start? Zoe George, take it away. Um, I have been thinking about Fox Glacier. Uh, I went on a roadie recently around the South Island, and hands down, I had the best food on my trip at Fox Glacier. There's this eatery called Betsy Jane, and you had to wait, but it was totally worth it, and the eatery is named after a really famous dog. And then we had a Friday night at the Cook Saddle Cafe and Saloon, whose motto is go hard or stay home, and I loved that. And the owner showed me around all the pictures on the wall and the rich history and talked about their local rugby teams and how they challenge for the Shield every year against rival towns and how the Shield gets helicoptered in for the game every year and the partners and wives dress up as cheerleaders and it's a real community thing. But these towns like Fox Glacier are still really hurting after COVID. So if you're on a roadie, please consider the West Coast. It's so beautiful, not just for the lush bush and the glaciers, but it has some of the best food in Aotearoa. So big shout out to, yeah, big shout out to Fox Glacier um, and if you're popping into Hokitika, go to Sandwiches <laughs> best sandwiches I've ever had so good um, so it's, good it's a reminder because uh, you know lived all these years in New Zealand been everywhere never to Fox Glacier can you believe that oh you have to go. It is so beautiful, and the people are so wonderful. And like I said, the food oh mwah, incredible, incredible. <laughs> You've been there, Steve? No, I haven't. I should. That's both of us. Oh, let's do it, mate. Let's uh, 
get on the Honda 50s. Panel roadie. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Zoe, good one. That's a nice reminder. Time for I've been thinking Steve McCabe. Well, I've been thinking uh, about public transport, and the reason I have is I've been fortunate enough to do a bit of travelling recently. Um, back in January, I went back to England. I was in Manchester. You know, a decent-sized city, a bit bigger than Auckland, but not much. I was looking at the, the, the Metrolink trams. A similar experience to Auckland. Back in the you know pre-war times, there, were, there was great tram network. Uh, the visionaries of the day ripped up the tram lines. <laughs> but then the difference with Auckland is that back in the 90s in Manchester, someone realised what they were missing and relayed trams all through the Manchester area. Yeah. And they are brilliant. You can go um, out to the airport, to Old Trafford, to the Trafford Centre, to Eccles, where my folks are. You can go all over the place. Um, it's, a, it's a well-used, well-loved service. And, and it's the kind of thing that we could have here. If only somebody had the vision uh, and could generate the political will and be willing to invest the money, we could have an amazing public transport system here in Auckland. And again, across the entire of the country, this is what we should have. And yet, for some reason, we don't have it. Other countries can do it on the way to England. I stopped in Morocco. Casablanca's got two tram lines that are building a third at the moment. No, Rabat's got tram lines. That if they can manage it, apparently um, all across Africa, countries like, for example, uh, Ethiopia, Addis Ababa has a metro system. Other countries can do this. Why can't we? It's it would because, be brilliant. It's because we love our cars, and, and we and because it's the type of it's the type of geography that is suited to the car. That's why you go down, for example, Ottawa Road. Everyone's in their cars because it's easier. They like to drive. People like to drive here. And, and the pe- rain. People must like to drive because they spend so long. I spent from Pukekohe to Monaco this morning over an hour in my car. Yeah, I, people must love their cars because they spend so much time in hang them. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You were in your car as well. I had no choice because the train line isn't operating out of Pukekohe. I would. I used to take the train directly to work. I much prefer it. I would be doing it every single time. I'd take the t- train down to Fox Glacier if I could. <laughs> but no buggers built. Yeah, catch it over to the West Coast and then you can bus it down to Fox Glacier. Yeah, totally. Public Perfect. transport. Yeah. There you go. I'm sold. Perfect. We're going. Let's do the it. The train ride. The train ride from Christchurch to the West Coast is stunning. Is if we're talking about trains. Yeah. It is yeah. at Transalpine. It is so beautiful. If you get a chance, give it a go. And then I'd recommend staying in, in Greymouth the well, night because we'll, we'll, it's a big day otherwise. I'll tell yeah. you what, I'll get the sleeper train from Auckland down to Wellington. <laughs> I can't believe it. Yeah, come say. It's uh, all coming together, yeah. isn't it? I can't believe the response Perfect. about the sleeper train. I was on a steam-powered train for 36 hours in China in 1974. Sleeper and all. A fabulous experience, says David. You wait till you hear some of the stories about sleeper trains uh, after, well, in the next half hour.